You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at SBTSongs or check us out at ChrisBlair.com. All right, what's up, everybody? This week, we've got Marla Cannon Goodman on our stage. Come on. Marla is more than a seasoned songwriter as she has had a very productive career that began with her first cut for Sammy Kershaw in 1996. She grew up in the industry writing poems since she was around eight years old and she learned a ton from her dad, the amazing Buddy Cannon, who is also an iconic songwriter and producer. She's written The Fool for Leanne Womack. That was her first number one. Uh, Ten Rounds with Jose Cuervo by Tracy Bird and Cleaning This Gun by Rodney Atkins. She tells us the full stories behind those songs and also touches on her cut with Blake Shelton, Don't Make Me. Uh, she's going to also walk us through writing Unfair Weather Friend for, wait for it, Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard. She's going to talk about how those two were going back and forth uh, on figuring out who was going to be able to cut the song and how the song ended up staying with both of them on their Django and Jimmy duet album. Over the last year, Marla has played and told some of these stories at the listening room quite often. We love getting to dive even deeper today. Uh, She shares the unique insight into the evolution of music and reflects on being the daughter of someone like Buddy Cannon and how that affected her journey. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a follow, check out Marla's socials, stay up to date with everything that's going on with her and with us. We also, as always, want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Sennheiser, Imperfect Esthetician, and All Claire In-Ears. If you're looking for a good set of in-ear monitors, make sure to take advantage of our code SBTSONGS. You get 10% off at checkout. Let's get to it. So many great stories. Here we go. Here is Marla Cannon Goodman. All right, here we are on the stage of the listening room in Nashville, Tennessee with Marla Cannon Goodman. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? Good. I'm so glad you're here. I want to dive right in. There's so much that I want to uncover. Uh, Starting, like, let's just go into your first cut, 1996, Sammy Kershaw. Tell me about that. Okay. uh, Well, I was actually working as a nurse when I started writing songs, so I just was dallying in it. And... uh, that the same place came, I was writing with um, just people that I had met through dad and, and uh, you know, going to shows and made friends with. They were friends of mine. And um, I, I asked Dean, I called Dean Dillon up one day, and I just I just said, well, you write with an amateur. And he's like, who? And I said, me. He goes, any day of the week. Mm. And uh, so I had my first writing appointment with Dean, and um, we wrote a song, just the two of us. Um, the second time I was going over to write, he invited Dad to come with us, and we ended up writing this song, Same Place, and it ended up being on the Politics, Religion, and Her album for Sammy, and uh, I was unsigned then, didn't have anything going on, and um, just out of the blue one day, Lana Thrasher, well, it was Wood at the time, but she married Neil Thrasher, but um, she was running Major Bob Music, and uh, I knew her through Larry Bastion, you know, going to events with him over at the Major Bob. And she called and said, what are you doing now? And I said, getting ready for work. And she goes, I mean, what are you doing? And I said, I'm working as a nurse. And she goes, are you doing anything with music? I said, well, I've been writing some songs. She said, I want to hear everything you've written. She wow. said, I had a dream last night that we were on stage at ASCAP. And she said, I just I want to hear what you're doing. Mm. And so when I went in, 
and took her my songs. I was signed within the week at the publishing company, and The Fool was actually on my Schedule A of songs that I took into my publishing deal. Mm. And um, it ended up, it's a crazy way that it went down. Um, a friend of mine was looking for a record deal. Gina Dillon was her name. She was actually here Friday night when we played. And uh, she was looking for a deal, and she had cut The Fool on her project. And uh, Frank Liddell was working at DECA as A&R, and they had pitched Gina to the to DECA, and they had just signed another artist, another new artist, and, and they were pretty similar in their styles. And he was just like, you know, we can't sign somebody else at the time. Well, it turns out that artist they had just signed was Leanne. And fast forward a few months, they start looking for songs for her, and um, my new publisher, Major Bob, uh, Shannon Myers was our plugger, and he went into Frank's office and Frank says that Shannon started playing the song, and he said the the first two lines went down, you know, uh, and he said, I hit stop, and I turned around, and I pointed at him. I said, I'm the fool in love with the fool who's still in love with you. He said, I remembered the song immediately, and he said, and I, and I put it on hold right then. Wow. And uh, Leanne, at the time, hated Frank's guts, <laughs> and uh, she didn't want to cut it because he really? brought it to the table. Yeah. And uh, she wanted to cut buckaroo and for it to be a single which it, you know it was yeah. she did and it was but she they were fighting over her cutting the fool because of that relationship with him wow which you know we all know how that ended up yeah yeah <laughs> so how take us into the writer's room uh when you guys wrote the fool uh it was actually my garage and i um i i wrote the first song i ever sat down in a room and wrote with somebody was with charlie steffel and uh he was when I called to say, "Will you write with me?" He was like, "Absolutely," because I just wanted to try and see how it was. Yeah. And the second person I ever actually sat physically in a room and wrote a song with was Gene Ellsworth, and um, we had written a couple of songs, and uh, Gene and I were writing a song called "Which Way Is Left," and it went, "Someone tell me which way is left. I know that's where he's gone," and it was terrible. I mean, it just <laughs> didn't. The song just wasn't coming together. So we ended up putting the melody down and writing, somebody tell me which way is left, which was still, it sucked. And uh, it never went anywhere. Um, but that melody was, we put it down on a tape. It was on one of those pink labeled tapes. Yeah, You're probably too yeah. young for those. Do you remember no, those? No, I remember that. So, yeah. yeah, so it was on a tape like that. And it just said melody on it. And I was driving down Music Row one day and um, somebody pulled out in front of me. I was probably down around uh, where Universal you know, records was. Yeah. And uh, I slammed on my brakes. And when I did, I, that tape flew out from under my seat. And uh, I reached down and picked it up and it just said melody on it. And I popped it in my tape player. And by the time I got to the Hall of Fame, which was right on the corner of Demumbrian, right, mm -hmm. you know, then uh, it hit the chorus line on it. And I just immediately thought in my head, I'm the fool in love with the fool who's still in love with you. I mean, a gift from God. I know it dropped yeah. right out of the sky. But I didn't have a cell phone at the time. You know, it was in 1993. So all the way home, I'm driving home saying over and over to myself, I'm the fool in love with the fool, still in love with you. I'm the fool in love with the fool. And by the time I got home, I, it was so convoluted in my head. I was like, I don't even know if it makes sense. And Gene Ellsworth actually lived in Pittsburgh, and he still does. And I, I called him, and I said, does this make any sense to you at all? And I said that. I'm the fool in love with the fool, still in love with you. And he goes, that's brilliant. He said, the girl's in love with the guy that's in love with somebody else. And I was like, yeah, he goes, what is it? I said, I don't know. I said, but I just it, I just came up with that idea when I was listening to a melody that we had. And uh, he said, we got to write that. 
So just so happened the next time it's funny story because the next time we were riding, I had invited Craig Morgan to come ride with us. And Craig, it pisses him off every time he tells the story <laughs> because I had invited him to come ride with us and he had another right. And so he didn't come that day. And we ended up calling Charlie and Charlie came over and we're sitting there shooting around ideas. And I said, what about this one? And we sat there in my garage and three hours later we had written it. Mm. And, uh, it's just, I mean, it was a life changer for, for yeah. all three of us. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, if, to, to think about like you or you're just kind of dipping your toe in the water to, to see if you even have what it takes or enjoy writing and then write that. And I mean, uh, well, then I thought, you know, I got nominated for song of the year. So I thought this shit's easy. Yeah, I do yeah. this all the time. Yeah. Why isn't everybody doing Liars. this? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, let's let's just keep going. Um, take us into like ten rounds with Jose Cuervo, and uh, I mean, you just got so many. Like, I just I'm 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 dying to hear the stories of how you came up with the ideas and, and yeah. All that. Well, it's funny because in between those is there's a one that no nobody really knows about. I don't even play it out, but it's called "You're Lucky, I Love You," and Susan Ashton actually cut it. But Gary told me my husband if I it got to number thirty, I could get a swimming pool. And so it went to 30 and sunk like the Titanic. And I was like, dude, you did not say 29. I said, you said 30. So, you know, it was like we went from having a number one to a 30. But, you know, it still it bought me a swimming pool. So yeah. I, was, I was happy with that. And I was actually getting to work as a songwriter. So um, it was getting me that was getting me in rooms with other people, you know, um, because that's not an easy thing to do. Sure. And a lot of people will say, well, your dad's buddy can. And I was like, yeah, that is not a nice noose to have hanging around your neck. <laughs> because for one, if, if people don't know you, they think that you're riding on your dad's coattails. Mm -hmm. And if they do know you, then they're trying, you know, they, they know they know the difference. But I, I, I it was really sometimes uh, an albatross because of him. Yeah. And uh, he uh, and he's harder on my songs than he is on anybody else's. So if you had a song that you wrote and I had a song that I wrote and they're sitting at Kenny's table and dad likes both songs, the one that he's going to champion is going to be your song because he he nepotism is not in his vocabulary. You yeah. know, he is just is not going to he believes in going on your own merit. And it's just like him. He's not going to push his own song. Sure. So um, that was that was made it a little bit more difficult for me. But. But I knew people because I had been around the music mm -hmm. and going and watching shows and stuff. So, I, and I'm pretty much of a talker. I'm I like people in general. So I, I wasn't afraid to ask to get in the rooms. And so I got lucky and got to go over to A Cuff Rose where Dean was and Donnie Keys and Buddy Brock. And I was getting to get in rooms with these. And that's where I, I met Casey Bethard. And mm. uh, Casey is one of my dearest friends. I mean, we've been friends now for, you know, way a half my life more than. Yeah. And uh, he, um, we immediately, the first day he became the brother I never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> he still is to this day. Uh, he still likes to boss me around. Um, but that, that, that particular day that we wrote 10 rounds, we were writing with Michael Heaney. And they had tasked us with writing a song for Garth Brooks. And uh, so... Heaney had been at um, Jimmy Kelly's a few weeks before and was sitting at the bar. And um, he was sitting by another guy that we knew, a mutual friend of ours that we didn't know we knew together. And I didn't know this till after the song got cut. But Heaney was sitting at the bar talking to him. And this other guy walks in 
And Philip looks over at Heaney and goes, that dude looks like he went 10 rounds with Jose last night. And, of course, Heaney completely lost the rest of the conversation, and that's what was on his brain. Yeah. So when he came in that day with 10 rounds, we just ran with it. And we laughed and cut up. And at the end, we were trying to be politically correct, and we gave gave the keys to the, you know, the bartender and called a cab. And when we turned it in, they were like, oh, no, y'all need to rock them out all the way to the end. And it was actually, we had written it for Garth Brooks, the uh, Dr. Pepper commercial song. Oh, yeah. That, it was that yeah. record. Yeah. And uh, we uh, ended up, Carla Wallace, my publisher at the time at Big Yellow Dog, she pitched it to Garth, and we didn't hear anything back. And uh, Casey was actually playing at the Bluebird, and um, Tracy Bird was in the audience, and he heard it, and he asked him, he said, what's going on with that song? And Casey said, nothing. And he goes, can I have it? And he goes, sure. So Tracy cuts it on a Wednesday, and on Thursday, Garth Brooks calls. And uh, so Carla had to tell Garth that it had already been cut. Well, Garth evidently didn't care too much, and he wouldn't cut it anyway after the fact. Well, then RCA got wind of it. It caused a little bit of a stink, and he said, fine, I won't do it. Well, Tracy, in the meantime, puts out his first single, and it's not that song. Garth goes back and does it again. And, uh, um, well, before he did it, I ran into him at Piggly Wiggly. Before he did it the second time, yeah. I ran into him at Piggly Wiggly. And he was, I was walking around in the back in Goodlettsville at the Piggly Wiggly, and he was standing by the milk counter. I mean, I'll never forget it. <laughs> and he just said, hey, how you doing? And I had met him, you know, because I wrote it Major Bob. I'd yeah. met him over the years, and he knew, knew my dad. And um, so I get to the front of the store, and he's standing there again, and I was like, he said, so how you been? And I'm like, I'm good. I said, I'm Marley Goes Cannon. I know who you are, your buddy's daughter. And I'm just, in my brain, I'm thinking, golly, he really does remember everybody's name, you know? Yeah. But we talked there in the line, and he said, I'm sorry about, you know, your song. You know, I hate that I missed it. And I was like, you, you ought to be me, you know? And uh, so fast forward, uh, you know, Tracy puts another single out. It was that Latin love song song, and uh, it wasn't our song again. And so Garth went back in and, and cut 10 rounds again, and he called me up, and he called, and I answered the phone, and he goes, Marla Garth Brooks. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And he said, seriously, it's Garth Brooks. And I was like, this ain't funny. He said, I saw you at Piggly Wiggly. And uh, and I'm like, okay. And he said, we've gone in and cut your song again. I thought you might want to come over and sing on it. And he said, we're singing at Jack's Tracks today at 1 o'clock. So me, Casey, and Heaney got to go over there and come sing on. on 10 rounds with you know Garth Brooks singing it. And uh, when we got done that day singing, we were getting ready to leave. It's so funny. Somebody just posted a picture this past year of all of us in the studio that day singing. And uh, he said, um, he stopped us and he said, I just want you guys to know that I got a call from Tracy himself. And he told me to please back off that he is going to put this song out. He said, so I just want you to know the right thing is going to happen with your song. And sure enough, Tracy put it out, you know, and it was it's played all the time yeah. still. So yeah. it's like I have zero complaints about yeah. that. Yeah. I'm How very cool thankful to Tracy Bird. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, that was followed up by Cleaning This Gun. Yes. Um, so, again, great story. Yes. Walk, walk me through that one. Um, well, it, actually, in between, we have another in between in that story because Don't Make Me with Blake Shelton, I think, came Yo, in between yeah, yeah, those yeah. two. So, um, and again, it was another one that got up there a little bit and it's just enough to keep you it's like golf Top you 15, just hit it right? close enough to the yeah. hole where you keeps you going yeah and 30 so, 30 got you a pull and then yeah. the next yeah that 11 yeah. that 11 helped yeah <laughs> it helped keep my kids in private school which was nice um but yeah the rodney atkins thing was i was actually writing at the time i had left big yellow dog and i was at cal four and uh cleaning this gun was a song that we had written at big yellow dog and um at the time they didn't really want us to demo it. They said that the com the uh, the subject was too controversial, 
because it was talking about a gun. And I was like, but that's not the, it's not about a gun. Ain't nobody's going to, it's not about that. It's just about that mentality of, boy, you better watch out. It's just about keeping somebody in check. It yeah. wasn't about that part of it. And, but they didn't even want us to demo it. And um, Casey said, screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. And so he went and did it. And um, I was actually writing for Cal 4. And my uh, plugger at the time, Mike Molinar, who's a big machine yeah. now. He, Great guy. He, uh, he called me up. He was at a festival in Florida. And he called me and goes, didn't you write that gun song with Casey about the daddy and the daughter? And I was like, yeah, why? And he goes, did you know that's Rodney Atkins' new single that's fixing to come out? I didn't even know it was on his record. Nobody had told me. I had no idea that I'd wow. gotten a cut on him. And, uh, I mean, I'd known Rodney for seven years. You know, he'd been over there. You know, he had one of those careers that it took him a bit to get his record going. And then when he did, he just exploded. Yeah. Um, but I had known him since the beginning. And uh, had no, I knew Ted Hewitt, too. You know, he'd been known my dad my whole life. Yeah. So it was like it took Molinar being at a festival, hearing him do the song, going, hey, that's one of Marla's. And, uh, but it was a great thing for us. That that was a me and Casey, you know, again, it was me and Casey. And I love that it, it, I got to do that with him. You know, I, t I used to tell him I was, he was riding on my coattails. I, he just got in the <laughs> Hall of Fame, whatever, Casey, yeah. you know. But um, he uh, he's a huge blessing to my life. And and uh, Cleaning This Gun is one of my favorite songs. I, I tell the story here all the time about my daughter, and she's going to kill me for saying it again. But I was playing the Bluebird one night, and I um, actually – dedicated the song to a boy that she was dating that I didn't care for her dating too much and called him a douche canoe and he was watching the live feed at home <laughs> with my husband and daughter and uh yeah I was so embarrassed I called him out and called him a douche canoe wow. I mean it's like wow how'd that go uh they didn't date too much longer after that <laughs> but you know I'm not sorry about that yeah well yeah you didn't like him he's gone yeah I didn't dislike him I just didn't like him with her yeah there you go yeah This episode is brought to you by AllClear Audio. AllClear Audio is a custom and universal in-ear monitor company based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with a storefront right here in Nashville, Tennessee, where we film the Stories Behind the Songs podcast. AllClear strives to not only be the leading provider of high-quality custom and universal fit in-ear monitors, but also leads the way in customer service and care. With custom starting at dual driver all the way to 13 drivers, there's something for everyone. Head over to allclair.com, that's A-L-C-L-A-I-R.com, and use our code SBTSONGS to receive 10% off. Thank you for the sponsorship. We love you guys at Allclair, and we hope that everyone out there listening takes advantage of this and enjoys them as well. Okay, I got to dive into, tell me how it felt, and obviously you grew up around music your whole life. And I want, I'm going to, I'm going to go into that a little bit, uh, towards the end, but, um, you know, to, to get some, a uh, song cut by two iconic guys like Merle Haggard and Willie Nelson. How, like what was that? Uh, there are really no words to describe that. It, it started with it, my, that song was written about my best friend and, uh, her mother had just passed away and we had been, it was a very traumatic experience. And I was writing with Ward Davis and I was telling him how I, we've been friends since we were nine and 10 years old. And it's like, you don't have friends like that. I do. Yeah. I'm lucky. I, yeah. I grew up in, I grew up in Mayberry. I grew up in Kingston Springs and, and people I don't think understand that when I go 
home, my friend's parents are like, you know, like we were just at a funeral this week, and and it's like our parents love us as mm. much as they love their own kids. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. and so I, I grew up like that. And so that song is about those kind of friends. And so it means a lot to me already. And I wrote it with Ward, who's another dear friend of ours. And um, my grandmother had gotten a cut on the To All the Girls record, and she was 92. She's a Pentecostal woman. She doesn't even drive. She didn't drive a car and had driven one mile her whole entire life. Um, she never wore pants. She didn't cut her hair. You know, she and my dad was a heathen, you know, and my aunt used to hide my dad in the trunk to keep my grandmother from finding out that he was a heathen because she was Pentecostal, you know. So it's like um, they she got a cut on Willie Nelson. He asked her to be in a video and she declined because there might be lewd women and drinking and or drugs in his videos. So she declined Willie Nelson. You know, it's like craziness. And but she sent me a video and she said, um, in the video, I have it. She says, Marla, I know you're so jealous of me and because I, she had gotten a Willie Nelson cut. And I was like, yeah, I'm a little bit jealous yeah. of you. And uh, so when Dad started to do that project on Willie and Merle, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to take a shot at it. I'm going to I'm gonna pitch him songs. And uh, Ward and I had did a, a version. We had pitched it to George Strait and gotten, you know, no response back from him. But and Dad knew the song. But when I pitched it to him, he said, "I'm gonna send that to Willie." And so he got it back, and Willie was like, "Let's cut that." He mm. said, "I love that song. Let's do it with me and Merle." And so I got to call my grandmother back and be like, "Hey, you're gonna be a little jealous of me now because I got it cut on Willie and Merle. I one up you." Yeah. Um, the funniest part of that that for me is that once they cut it. Willie wanted to keep it for himself. He wanted to kick Merle off of the song really? and keep it for his own record. And Merle wanted to take Willie off of it and keep it for his own record. And Dad Dad told Willie, he said, I'm not telling Merle that. You're going to have to tell him that yourself. Wow. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, I got to meet them. I mean, I got to go hang out in the studio with yeah. Willie and Merle. You know, and, and we grew up in the business. I mean, I grew up with Vern Gosden literally sitting in my living room floor. He ate dinner with us three or four times a week yeah. because his wives couldn't cook. And I did say wives, plural, because neither one of them could cook. But my mother was a fantastic cook. So Vern would just show up and eat. Um, but he, uh, to get to go into the studio and, and sit in there with those guys, because we just didn't do that. Because, you know, dad's working. Right. He didn't want to go in there. And, yeah. and I mean, I know how it is. When I'm working, it's it's hard when people want to come in there and hang out. And you're like, we're working. Um but I've only done that one other time, and that was when Dad was working with Lionel Richie. And he's mm. like, well, let me ask. And I was like, I don't care who you ask. I'm showing up. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah, coming in. Yeah, you can ask whoever you want, yeah, I'm but I'm your daughter, and I'm going to be there. And it's Lionel Richie, and I'm coming yeah. in. But um, I remember uh, I got to meet Willie first, um, and, you know, he's just the sweetest, kindest. I met him in Austin. And uh, so I, just a kind, kind human. Um, when I met Merle, it was here and it was over at, is it Soundstage? That's at the end of, uh, Division? Mm-hmm. That dead ends? Uh. Wait, right, it was uh, right there at it's the. It's not Soundstage. Uh, is it? Now I'm. I think. I know it, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was right there yeah, at that right. studio. Um, but I walked in the door and we're walking around the corner. And as we're going this way around the corner, Merle comes around from the back. And I, the only way I can describe him walking around that corner was every bit of energy in that building went whoosh right on him. And it was just like, holy crap, that's Merle Haggard. 
And I went to reach out my hand. He goes, sorry, I'm a hugger. And I went, oh, my gosh, I'm hugging Merle Haggard. <laughs> and uh, it was just an a, amazing moment for me. Yeah. Obviously, that song was, you know, very close to you. Um, so going back, like when you and Ward wrote it, was it was it a song that just poured out very quickly because yeah. because of that? We were sitting. It is funny because we were sitting out in my backyard and it was it, the, the wind picked up. The leaves are blowing everywhere. And we're writing a song called Unfair Weather Friend. Mm. And um, it was. a Yeah, we I think we knew that day that we had written something. I know that we knew we wrote something that w was close to both of us. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, Well, I think this is this is probably a good transition uh, talking about your dad, uh, Buddy Cannon. Um, great producer, great writer, um, you know, just an industry legend to you, like growing up around that, you know, that's just your dad, right? Yeah. Um, what, what would you say is like your, your coolest memory of when you got older and realized like how, how important he has been, uh, to the industry? Like what, what's your best memory like that? Um, I tell you, it's probably... It's a recurring one. Okay. Because it's every time I'm working with somebody and they say to me, your dad gave me my first cut. Your dad gave me oh, my first wow. gig as a musician. And and it's like, it's the, um, I don't know, it's not an awe thing. It is a respect thing that they have for him that um, I, I'm lucky in the way that, um, you know, my dad's a recovering alcoholic. For our childhood, he'll tell you straight up, he was partying and playing music and making music and that's what he you know he did my mother was mother father every she was everything that i needed it all rolled into a ball my mother is a rock star yeah. she was his mother and his yeah. you know she was all that to him too um and i have two sisters um but he um he and I have a relationship where we work. I've never worked for him. I've always gotten to work with him. Mm. And he's more of a peer in the music for me than, you know, anything else. Because I'm not a singer like Melanie where I had to go in there and let him push the talk back button and stare at me and be like, you're singing it wrong. Yeah, That's never been our relationship. It's always been songwriter to songwriter. And um, he's proud of me. And I know he is because I'm proud of him. And yeah. Um, it's a mutual respect that I have with him, and but to hear other people that have that same respect is it's very it's it's a cool thing to know that he is what I think he is. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, do you think like you, you know you you were talking earlier about uh you know coming up with uh full like you like there's there's no phones. You know, there's no apps like, you know, we don't have the notes app in our phone where you can write down all your ideas. Right. Um, for everybody listening out there and especially women um, that I feel like don't get the spotlight in this town like they should. Um, what do you think the difference is of like, uh, you know, 20 plus years of doing this um, from, you know, from back then, you know, in with your your first cut, um, you know, to now, like how the industry has changed. Um, for me, I've never, I, I've never felt that the, I, I know that the worst thing that ever happened to me, probably I, I wrote with Eric Church and him all the time. I was in that same camp with all the guys. So as being a woman, this is probably my worst experience as a girl. 
Um, when he went on the road, the rule was no women on the bus, which I get that. You know, his wife didn't want women on the bus. She's a friend of mine. So it's like, I get it. Yeah. Um, I have a husband. I know. Uh, but I missed out because I was on, you know, I wrote Can't Take It With You with Eric, me and, me and Eric and Casey. It was on the first record. And uh, he, I mean, it's been on two live records and he's never, it's never been a single. And I've written so so many other songs with, with Eric, but when they went on the way, they took the show on the road and the guys would go out with him and they would ride out on the road. So that's probably my biggest miss is that I missed the opportunities like that, that you miss not being able to get out there and, and be in that environment. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I have never, I've never had felt like I had a door closed on me or anything for that reason. I, but I also never felt intimidated walking into a room with a, you know, two other guys. I the one thing that I'm a shy person. When I sing, my hands sweat. I get nervous. But when I walk into a room to write a song, I have zero question in my ability. I don't ever. I wrote poems since I was old enough to write words. So I mm. never, I never got nervous about that part. So I. Being a girl is just, you know, I, I'm a ball player. So I, yeah. you know, I, being a girl never bothered me much. Okay. I got dirty just like the boys did. Yeah, I love it. Um, I, a lot of times, most of the times uh, on these episodes, I start out, uh, you know, kind of diving into like how everybody got into music. And you've got so many great stories. I just wanted to like cut through that today and just go straight to the hits. But with you talking about that, like writing poems as a kid and, you know, stuff like that. Um, when, when did you figure out that, you know, you wanted to do this? Was it, was it when you were like making those phone calls saying like, Hey, I want to just try this. Or did you have like going back to writing poems and like before that you had this thought of like, Hey, I'm, I think I want to do this music. Never. Thing. I would have never imagined never. Okay. in a million years that I'd be sitting here doing this. And I, I went to school to be a nurse. Yeah. Um, but I did, I wrote poems the whole time. I loved English. Just as a, like an outlet? Yes. Okay. Uh, and I would, I would write poems for my friends breaking up with their boyfriends. Yeah. They would go, oh, you write me a poem for so-and-so. And I was like, okay. And um, I uh, I was, I, my sister Melanie, we were all at a, they had been, had some kind of show. I think it was at Douglas Corner, Dad and Larry Bastion and some other friends of ours. And there was a guy, Glenn Allen, he played piano for Dana Carter yeah, on the road. Yeah. So he uh, was one of the guys that were there, and he said he called me Maples because Marla Maples was married to Donald Trump at the time. And uh, he says, "Hey Maples," he said, uh, "How come you don't do anything in music?" And Melanie, my sister Melanie, said, "She actually writes poems." And he goes, "Ah, I'd love to read some." So I gave him some of my poems, and um, I was actually at TSU at the time in nursing school. I was the first uh, white girl in the band over there at TSU. I, no way. I played clarinet. I started playing clarinet at ten. And um, I still get it out sometimes. Yeah. They're always threatened to bring it to one of the shows and oh, you do have a to. solo on you it. You have to do that. Um, but uh, so I, I, when he said that, he said, I want to read some of your poems. And so I just sent him home with three of them. And the next day, he, he was from Washington. He's still in Washington. He called me up the next day and said, hey, Maples, listen to this. And he sang me one of my poems. And that gave me that idea. So that's why when I called Charlie. I said, will you sit down with me and, and let me try to see if I could do this? Yeah. So um, I remember the first time I was in a, uh, we were having a guitar pull over at my house where everybody's, you know, just sitting around, passing the guitar around. And uh, Charlie goes, hey, Marla, sing this one. And he starts playing our song that we had just written. 
And I remember my dad looking like, why are you singing? You know, because I sang in chorus in school, but that's about it. Melanie yeah. was the singer of the of the group. And uh, he said, why are you, you know, like, why are you singing that? And and so when I, I got, he said, man, I love that song. He said, who wrote that? And I said, I did. And he said, are you shitting me? And I said, no. And he goes, how long have you been doing that? I said, I've just been doing it a little bit. He goes, play me something else, you know. And about uh, maybe uh, seven or eight months after that, we were out in California at Larry Bastian's house and, he was doing this big festival at a lodge. It's funny because I was just talking to Jeff Steele about this. He was there. Chris Farron was there. They were all there standing in the room when this went down. Yeah. And, and I had never got up in front of people and sang like I do here. I mean, that, that was just so, y'all, I was so nervous. <laughs> and uh, I get um, I get up there and, and they asked me to get on stage and sing. And I was like, okay, fine. And we had just written The Fool. And Charlie goes, Marla, sing our new song. And I said, okay. So I remember my dad, I, I start, they start playing it, and he kind of looked over at, at me. And I, I mean, I was about to throw up. I was so nervous. And he looked over at me like, what are you doing? And I start singing this song, and he walked up in front of the stage and stood just like this mm. and stared at me the whole time. And I was, I mean, I was really, it was the most nerve-wracking thing. And I got off the stage after I finished the song, and he said, I think you might have just wrote a classic. Wow. And uh, I was like, I mean, it took the wind out I of me. I just got chills. I, I mean, I yeah. just, I couldn't believe it. And he'll still, sometimes we'll play out somewhere. And he shocks me every time because he'll say, that's one of the best songs I ever heard. Mm. And uh, it's like, wow, thanks. You know? Yeah. Because his opinion is huge. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Wow. Um, okay. As we wrap up, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to get some advice from you. Uh, for everybody that's listening, like, um, you know, maybe they're new to town and they don't have a pub deal yet and they're trying to find like um find their way in this town. What kind of advice would you give those new people that are trying to land their first publishing deal? Uh be true to who you are. Don't get put in a box. Um I'm fortunate being a um a lyricist mainly, you know, cuz I I can play a little bit of of lots of instruments mm -hmm. um my goal this year is to be able to sit here on this stage and play all by myself you know of course brandon's probably going to kick my butt if i if i do that or josh but it's like uh i i want to be able to pick up the guitar and just do it without the nerves that come with it because it, it, that's for me i've played a couple of times out and and I, it makes me nervous and and so I, it's like i just want to be me and when you sing it when you're playing it it's completely a different it goes down a different way. You sing it different, and yeah. it goes down. So I would say be true to who you are, and and don't get stuck in a box because saying it your way is ninety percent of the time it's probably the right way to say it. And uh, my dad told me I used to all the time I would I would say this is probably going to sound stupid before I said something. And one day Dad said to me, he goes, "Don't say that anymore." He goes, "The only stupid thing you can say is what you don't." Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was like, hmm, that that makes pretty much good sense. So I've not been I, I'm not afraid to say what I think. And uh, when I got ready to quit nursing to do this, I asked, you know, dad, he he, he said, well, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I said, I, I'm really I think I am. And he goes, well, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. He said, because it is the most rewarding job you can ever have. He said, but it'll break your heart quicker than you can blink. Mm -hmm. He said, so if you can prepare yourself for that and you can handle that, then you'll be fine. 
And he, he didn't lie. It does. It's, I mean, I'm yeah. 53 years old and it's still sometimes I'm just like, really? Yeah. You're going to take that song over this song? But it's like, it's, it's just the nature of the business. And he, and your songs will find their way to where they're supposed to be. And yeah. I, I really, really believe that. Great advice. Okay. Let's shift it to you. Uh, eight year old Marla in Kingston Springs. You're sitting here now with everything you've learned. What advice do you give yourself back then? Ah, uh, do it all the same way again. <laughs> I love it. I no mean, regrets. Make your yes. own mistakes, yeah. man. There, I, I don't regret one mistake. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much oh, for being here. Thank you so here. much for having me. It's been me. a blast. And we always thank you for this place, man. Oh, it's you're a, it's welcome. A, yeah, it's a blessing to all of us songwriters in Nashville. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's uh, people like you is the reason we do it. Yeah. So. It's a great place. You know, we we love we love sitting up there in that balcony and just being inspired every night. So I love sitting up here and not having to worry about seeing the people in the balcony because the lights are so bright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still have to close my eyes, but that helps. Yeah, well, just bring that clarinet. Oh, yeah. And one of these times, yeah. I am going to do it. You, you I get to, the nerve yes. up. Well, everybody, thank you so much uh, for listening. This has been another episode of Stories Behind the Songs. You've been listening to Marla Cannon Goodman, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. Make sure to give us a follow on Spotify if you enjoyed this episode and make sure you click that notification button so you can keep notified when new episodes come out. We release brand new episodes every Tuesday and you can find us on YouTube at Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to send us a comment letting us know what you thought of the episodes. We love getting your feedback and share this with your friends. The more we grow, the more that we can keep doing this. It's our mission to bring you all of these great stories behind the songs from some of Nashville's most iconic artists and songwriters, publishers, producers, everyone in between, and a lot of my great friends. We love what we do and we love sharing their stories with you. We appreciate all of the continued support. Thanks also to all of our sponsors and we will see you all next week.